Welcome back to Rome Boys. On this episode, we have Father Edward Looney on the program. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Yeah, great to be here with you. And uh, of course, I love the Blessed Mother and I can't wait to talk more about her with all of you. Yes, thank you so much. Well, that's a subject that we like to talk about as well. But what well, what most guests don't like hearing is their bio. So we're going to run through yours and uh, so you can tune out if you want. <laughs> Father Edward Looney was ordained a priest for the Diocese of Green Bay in June of 2015 and is an internationally recognized Marian theologian writer, speaker, and radio personality. He is a member of the Mariological Society of America and serves on its administrative council. Father Looney is the author of the best-selling books, A Heart Like Mary's and A Rosary Litany. And his writings have also appeared in pages of Catholic Digest and the online at Tila and the Catholic Exchange. Father Looney has appeared on radio and television through the apostolate of Revelant Radio, Radio Maria, Shalom World, and EWTN. His most recent book, How They Love Mary, 28 Life-Changing Stories of Devotion to Our Lady, is what we're going to talk about today. Thank you for joining us, Father. Yeah, wonderful. Well, thanks for that biographical introduction. You're right. Most people uh, that are guests on shows don't like the bios because we don't write them. Other people write them for us. There you go. You persevered. You did it. Yeah. <laughs> we might have to look into doing the bios after the show is over with, you know, you where go. you don't have to listen to it. There you go. <laughs> right, right, right. You could do it before. Yeah, yeah we we'll just yeah. do it beforehand. So so you're a priest in Wisconsin. I had a, I was fortunate enough to make it up to Wisconsin one time. I loved it. I just felt like Catholicism was alive, but it was different. Like the people, not to say people were behind, but it was like how I was growing up. Like there yeah. was something that hadn't been through media and through secularism hadn't ruined the state. <laughs> Whereas I grew up in Colorado and other places too. So anyways, I felt like Catholicism was alive, especially to our lady. So can you tell us a little bit about the shrines in Wisconsin and just Catholicism there? Hmm. Yeah. A uh, great question. And that is a, a great observation on your part, just about the faith of Wisconsin. It's really old fashioned, if you want to say, hmm. And not like old fashioned, the sense of traditional or whatever, but I just mean like where I was stationed previously. So now I'm kind of in a a urban area, but where I was previously was kind of in the country parishes and we were filling our churches all the time, you know, Uh, and, and it was just like one of those things where you realize like this isn't happening everywhere. And it, it, it was just amazing you know people practicing their faith and kind of in that area where i was at uh which is actually near one of those marian shrines near champion wisconsin the marian approved apparition uh in wisconsin uh it was just uh people would build their homes there they would go at, like it was multi-generational families you know their kids would build and and they just went to church and you didn't really have to think about it so um they they were very faithful so uh but about the marian shrines yeah lots of uh different shrines to our lady here in wisconsin uh there's uh there's three principal shrines uh we would typically say i guess 
the first is, of course, the Marian apparition site. So uh, we think of Lourdes, we think of Fatima, we think of Guadalupe. And in Wisconsin, Our Lady appeared in 1859 to Adele Bryce, a Belgian immigrant uh, who came over to the States in the 1850s. The apparition took place in October of 1859. There were three Marian apparitions. Mary identified herself as the queen of heaven who prays for the conversion of sinners. Uh, she invited Adele to pray, to make use of the sacraments, but then to gather the children to teach them what they need to know for salvation. The shrine in Wisconsin was called Our Lady of Good Help for many years, but just recently, kind of with the Vatican permission, it was changed. And it was interesting because Our Lady never called herself, I am the Lady of Good Help. You know, you think of Fatima, Our Lady says, I'm the Queen of the Holy Rosary. Lords, I'm the Immaculate Conception. She said in Champion, I'm the Queen of Heaven. But yet the shrine was Our Lady of Good Help, a devotional title uh, that was very near and dear to the heart of Sister Adele Bryce, uh, the, the visionary. And so that's why the shrine was known as that. But kind of to align itself with other Marian apparition sites, uh, the bishop deemed it appropriate and fitting to name it Our Lady of Champion. Kind of poses a few little problems, only because Champion as a city did not exist at the time of the apparition. Uh, but but just now, where that is, um, uh, that's, the, that's the little unincorporated town. And you've been there, and you know it's in the middle of farmland, uh, yes. Wisconsin. There are cows. Sometimes the air is ripe with manure in the air. So, uh, you know, but it's a beautiful place where heaven came to earth and where Mary gave a message. And so many graces, so many miracles have been taking place there uh, for over 160 years since the apparition took place. There is the great miracle of the fire, too, where the shrine itself and Adele and the children at the school and local townspeople that they were all preserved uh, from the devastation of a fire. So uh, a very special, a peaceful place where once you get out of your car, you sense there's something sacred about the spot. Now, there's two other Marian shrines in Wisconsin, and there's actually a, a false Marian apparition too, but we won't give any credit or any uh, uh, attention to that. Um, so... But there, there's so in the diocese where the false Marian apparition was, uh, Cardinal Burke at the time, just Bishop Burke, saw it fit and necessary to maybe form the people in authentic Marian devotion. He actually wanted to build a shrine to Our Lady of Fatima, but kind of over his own personal discernment and prayer, decided to build it to Our Lady of Guadalupe. And it's a magnificent church. Um, kind of, you know, it's not a basilica, but should be a basilica. Uh, once you get up to the top, you like have to ascend a hill. But once you get up there, you feel like you're in Italy because it's so majestic. And the way that Our Lady is enshrined there, uh, just front and center, um, a, a beautiful uh, center and place of Marian devotion uh, in La Crosse. La Crosse is also a very beautiful city, too. Uh, there's bluffs and there's it's right on the Mississippi. I just led a pilgrimage there for my old parish uh, uh, to, to uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe. And then the third Marian shrine is down in the Archdiocese of Milwaukee, and it's called Holy Hill or the National Shrine of Our Lady Help of Christians. 
And uh, sometimes when we think of the help of Christians devotion, we automatically should associate it with the Salesian religious order. But at Holy Hill, it's Carmelites that have the shrine. And I, I just did this whole paper on Our Lady Help of Christians and gave it at a conference for scholars and whatnot. But, you know, I, I tried to discern why it was they named it Help of Christians. And, and the my, my sense from my study is that the chapel that was built on this hill was dedicated on May 24th, which happened to be the feast of Mary help of Christians. So I think I'm to Mary of that title. And then the statue was acquired and it's been there for, for a very long time. Uh, it, it's, it also is a very beautiful shrine. You walk, you go up the hill, over the church, very Gothic uh, style church. Stained glass windows are beautiful in the upper level. I think people at Holy Hill miss the second level which is the, the St. Therese Chapel. And the stained glass windows around the perimeter of the St. Therese Chapel tell the story of St. Therese of Lisieux. Uh, so just very beautiful. And uh, it's a place, again, I, I love praying at Holy Hill as well. Uh, if you go there, so go to Champion, go to Holy Hill. I don't know about Guadalupe in terms of like miracles taking place and people leaving things behind, but... But back in the day, people left crutches there in Champion. People left crutches at wow. Holy Hill. Uh, so, so the powerful intercession of Mary uh, has been felt by so many who have visited those three places. And, and maybe I'll just throw in one other little thing uh, about kind of Catholicism in Wisconsin. And kind of uh, because it's a project I worked on, uh, I, I did a documentary on the roadside chapels. So where I was in Door County, which was right by the Shrine in Champion, the Belgian immigrants built these little chapels and they would be in their front yards or their backyards or along the side of the road or in a cemetery. And it would be dedicated to a saint. And they're just little chapels uh, where people would go in. And a lot of times uh, they were built because of a grace received. So uh, like, for example, this one guy was drowning uh, on the water, cried out. He was saved. He built a chapel to Our Lady. Another guy who was blinded by some, you know, lie as he was creating cement. And uh, and so he prayed for the restoration of his eyesight. His eyesight comes back. He builds a little chapel. So so there's almost 40 of these little chapels uh, that are, you know, within maybe a 20 mile radius. But I think it just gives testament again to the faith of the people of that area. So the documentary, anyone's interested, it's on YouTube called Faith Along the Road and uh, gives you a little history of the roadside chapel. So uh, I think that's a part of the devotion uh, of the people in Wisconsin, too. Yeah, I just, yeah, like you were saying, too, I could just sense it. You could just feel it. Of course, you go at the shrines. They're amazing and they're awesome. And uh, but just of the people. And it just seems a little bit slower in the sense of Godspeed. Um, the people and, and their faith and the richness of their faith has been passed down by generation. The intactness of families, I would imagine, I don't know that for sure, but less divorce and less uh, marital types of, you know, issues or whatever else. I just, I'm like, I want to live here. This is amazing. This place is awesome. So, and that's all, all over Wisconsin. So anyways, hopefully that'll be a pilgrimage. We can yeah, get up there someday awesome. and see all these wonderful sites. I do have a question that's off, off the list here. 
<laughs> and I think you, I think you're the person to ask this question is I've had the question brought up to me recently. They don't understand why the Marian doctrines are dogmatic. You know, why, why is there so much emphasis on the Marian doctrines? Yeah. Why? Well, so a lot of times when it comes to these Marian dogmas, a right understanding of Jesus came from understanding Mary. So, you know, you have Nestorius who's saying that, that, Mary was only the mother of the human Jesus and not the mother of God. And so so by understanding Mary as the mother of God and that Jesus as God is a, a divine person with a human and divine nature, well, then that helps us understand. So so I think the emphasis on the Marian dogmas uh, really tell us who Jesus is. So even, you know, Mary in her Immaculate Conception, well, it tells us who Jesus is and the fact that you know, God was born of a virgin who was without sin. And so uh, so God did that for her because of who Jesus would be and who he is for us as our Savior. Um, even the perpetual virginity of Mary kind of points us to, to heaven, uh, to, to the virginity for the sake of the kingdom. Uh, and then the assumption, of course, is all about our end goal. So, so that Jesus anticipates what will happen for all of us in the final resurrection of the body that we profess in the creed that mary has already received that because a she's without sin but because god chose to do this for his mother as has her reward you could say so uh, i think the dogmas like i said just uh help us understand jesus and also uh aid us on our own pilgrimage of faith and how mary is a fellow pilgrim uh, on the kingdom, on the way to the kingdom of heaven. That's a beautiful answer. That's perfect. <laughs> I mean, that that just makes sense. I mean, why are they so important? Because they point us back to Jesus. Yeah, because that's what Mary does. <laughs> that's what she says. Whatever he tells you. Whatever he tells you. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I love in your book, you know, it says how I love how they love Mary. It's stories. And everybody loves a good story. And you mentioned mm-hmm. St. Padre Pio, who had prayed 30 rosaries a day. I'm like, cool. man, I'm lucky to have one or two, man. How does he have time to do that? And then St. Faustina would pray a novena for nine days and say a thousand Hail Marys. I mean, like, wow. <laughs> what do you say about that? That's just, that's slow. Whoa. whoa. <laughs> and yeah. they're probably not rattling them off either. They're probably really, really meditating, meditating yeah. on every word. We're just like, oh, everyone's in traffic and just trying to get through. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so those are kind of incredible stories, right? And obviously what the saints did is heroic. What the saints did is kind of an example to us. Uh, of course, we're not probably going to be able to do that every day and uh, ourselves. Uh, and people would say, you know, the, the the saints would say that you need to live in accord with your vocation. So, you know, if your vocation is as a mother, well, you shouldn't be spending six hours in the chapel every day. Like, yes, pray but pray as your vocation allows and permits uh, for you to do the will of God. So, so obviously for, for uh, Faustina, for example, she would do this in her vocation as a religious. She did it especially as a way to prepare for certain feast days sometimes. So it wasn't like she was praying a thousand Hail Marys every day, but maybe she did it nine days before the feast of the Immaculate Conception or some other Marian feast day. So um, I, I think that, you know, kind of the extremeness of of those uh, aspects of their own example of devotion, maybe they inspire us to say, well, maybe uh, 
one point in my life, I will do something like that. Maybe mm-hmm. I'll go on a retreat and that'll be an object or focus of my retreat. So um, I think it just gives us something to aspire to. And uh, and we will know when we're supposed to do something like that, too. Like um, if you are, you know, I, I don't know, in, in the midst of a very busy work season, if you're an accountant or something and it's tax season, mm-hmm. you know, this probably isn't the devotion that God is going to call you to at that moment. But maybe at a downtime, you'll feel and you'll sense that this is where you're being led. So, yeah, the, the saints, their devotion truly uh, uh, is meant to inspire and even if maybe, you know, not praying a thousand Hail Marys, but maybe it makes me want to pray, uh, pray just a little more and encourage me to seek the things of God rather than the things of this world that, you know, uh, someone the other day, just on maybe Twitter or something, Instagram, they're like, look at how much time I spend on my phone. But yet I say I can't pray every day. So, mm. so I think like it's those realizations that help us to realize I'm called to be a saint. And this is my response as a saint to to, you know, sacrifice phone time in order to spend time with Jesus himself. So, um, yeah, meant to inspire, I think. for And our phones painfully remind us every Sunday how many to- how much time we actually spent on our phones. You know, that's 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 just painful. <laughs> Uh, yeah, when I look at it, whenever it says you've been down this week, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I love right it forward. when it goes down. The problem was the week before it was way, way yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, it's true too. So you talk about your book, how Fulton Sheenan said two things made his priesthood successful. Daily hour, daily holy hour, excuse me, and each Saturday celebrating mass in honor of Our Lady. It seems it seems like Catholics who love Jesus in the Eucharist and Our Lady seem to be on the right track. Yeah, most definitely. Those are kind of the ingredients or recipes for success uh devotion to the holy eucharist devotion to our lady you know it goes back to that dream of saint john bosco i think too john bosco had the the vision of of the uh, of a ship so kind of the church as the ship sailing between two pillars one with a monstrance one with a statue of our lady help of christians and so uh really that they're our guiding points and so mary directs us to the eucharist often if you think about her apparitions, she did that. Um, for example, uh, you know, she always would say, build a church. So in Lourdes, build a church, Fatima, have a church built here, Guadalupe, a church. Well, what happens there? The encounter with the Eucharist, the mass is celebrated. Uh, so, so in champion, she said, offer your Holy communion for the conversion of sinners. So, so Mary is always pointing us and wanting us to receive the Eucharist uh, so, uh, I think Fulton Sheen, of course, he, he's a great example. And so many people, they, you know, older people have memories of him. Younger people are inspired by him, by his words. They've heard his teachings. They've read his books. And, uh, yeah, so just his program kind of is a good recommendation for all of us. So, um, you know, and maybe again, praying as your vocation allows, might not be a daily holy hour like Fulton Sheen, but daily prayer, of course, but maybe it's a weekly holy hour, a monthly holy hour. Um, so you can take something from like Fulton Sheen and make it applicable uh, in your own life. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Like you said, that's a golden recipe for success. Yes, that, yes, you know. both for priests and um, yeah, single people discerning to mm-hmm. marry people. Um, and like you said earlier, just you do what you can. So, you know, 10 minutes before our Lord and the Blessed Sacrament is better than none. So go that's for right. it there. You even mentioned you know, in your book I say that, that I say something very similar about that, you know, like with exercise. It's like, uh, oh, I could go for a 20 minute walk right now, or I or I could not. And I know it's going to be better if I go. So I think it's the same thing for prayer. Like, I know that if I pray before the Blessed Sacrament, my life is going to be better because of it. And so you just have to get to that point where you, where you are able to convince yourself of that. Convince yourself, believe it, and then act on it. It seems like a lot of priests, um, you know, they believe in the Eucharist. I would hope to say the majority. Uh, but I wouldn't think a lot have that daily holy hour. And so it's an encouragement. Hopefully, Fulton Sheen's advice is like, hey, priest, do I, you're the one celebrating Mass, and hopefully you're not going through the motions as you do it. How much time are you spending before our Lord, too? Because you priests can get just as busy as lay people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, you mentioned Padre Pio earlier, and Padre Pio had this profound devotion to Our Lady, especially in terms of the Mass. And, you know, we say that, that the mass is Calvary represented, that this is the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And so so who is there as Jesus was on the cross on Calvary? Well, his mother was there. And there's even a prayer in the back of the missal that a priest could pray as a preparatory prayer before mass. And I've kind of paraphrased it, rewrote it, made it my own uh, in my own memory. But, it, but for me, it's uh, what I say is like, Mary, just as you stood by your son Jesus as he was dying on the cross, stand by me now as I offer this holy mass. But but that was one of the profound things of Padre Pio and his reflections about Mary is just her realizing her presence there at mass and wanting us as all of the faithful, you know, when we go to mass to think of Our Lady's presence there. And, you know, there was another person that, that this book, How They Love Mary, features named Father Daniel Lord. And one of the things that really mesmerized me about him was his meditations after Holy Communion and how we can receive the receive Holy Communion. And then we enter into this like meditative experience, conversing with Jesus in prayer, maybe using our imagination in prayer. And, and Father Lord like said, well, imagine Mary's first Holy Communion. Imagine receiving communion and union with our lady or an imitation with our lady in honor of our lady think of mary's last holy communion so so there's a lot there when we're talking about the mass and the eucharist that we can find our lady uh, and, and allow our devotion to the eucharist to be enhanced with our lady what would you say to someone a catholic you know and devout catholic i've met even priests that are just not very marian or, you know, they'll pray the rosary if it was something that was a part of the May, you know, celebrations that we do. But uh, it's just not a big part of their their faith. What would you say to them? Yeah, well, uh, of course, we need a devotion to Our Lady, I believe, in some semblance, even if it's as minor as saying three Hail Marys a day or something like that. But, um, you know, if we're supposed to live our lives in imitation of Jesus— well, then we love Mary because he loved her. And so when, when Jesus again says on the cross, woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took Mary into his home. Well, now we're that disciple and we need to take Mary into our home. You know, one of the simple ways that one could have a Marian devotion 
And I, I hope that everybody might have this, but you, you should have a picture of the Holy Family or a picture of Mary. Like right here, I have this little image right behind me. Uh, I have a statue actually too right here. Uh, so, so like these are just tangible reminders of the presence of Our Lady in our lives. And when we look at the statue or the image, it makes us remember, well, I have a mother who loves me in heaven. I have a mother who prays for me. I have a mother that wants me to spend eternity with God. And so so even just the simple image of Our Lady in your home can be an act of devotion, could increase your own love of God because she's pointing us to her son, Jesus. You know, in your book, you have some simple practical advice about just saying a Hail Mary for the person you're about to send a text to. Hmm. Or an email or, you know, or a letter. Does people still write letters? I guess a few. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but and that's an art that's dying, but needs to be brought back. Amen. But uh, yeah, that just seems so doable. And I mean, how hard is that to do? I mean, it's yeah, right. Uh, you know, other simple things like I hear ambulances now that I live in the oh. city and there's a hospital a mile away. I hear the ambulance quite a bit. And so it's like, well, I could stop and pray Hail Mary for that person. So there are these very simple approaches to a Marian devotion and and uh, calling to mind the presence of Our Lady, her maternal influence in our own life. So, um, yeah, there's all all these different ways. Um, and, and that's the, the beauty of, of this book, How They Love Mary, is that what I wanted to do was I wanted to show that not all Marian devotion looked alike, that some saints had devotion in different ways, you know, there's this one nasty review on Goodreads that, that you know, kind of is like, well, this book just tells you pray the rosary and they went on pilgrimage. And it's like, well, I, I think you kind of missed the whole whole point of it. But um, but but the idea of the fact that there are many different expressions from sacramentals, wearing a miraculous medal or a scapular to the prayers, whether you pray the memorari or the little office of Our Lady or you know, so there's so many of them. And I wanted people to see how these holy men and women, saints and not saints, but should be saints alike, um, how they could inspire us. We have a series called Hanging with the Saints. And one saint that you mentioned was St. Miriam of Jesus Crucified, which I knew nothing about. So mm. anything you want to say about her and some miracle stories and fun things about her? Yeah, yeah. So one of the things... Uh, that I really wanted to do with the book was it was kind of like, and maybe you caught this, it, it was really biographical for me. So I basically touched upon saints uh, in sequence of my life that I encountered. So like it started with Damien and Molokai, my birthday saint, and his, you know learning about him, his devotion to Our Lady. Well, Miriam of Jesus Crucified was a religious sister in the Holy Land, and she was in Bethlehem. And when I was in seminary at Mundelein, we went uh, to, to the Holy Land for nine weeks, 10 weeks. And so we were staying in, at Betaram in Bethlehem. And uh, right across the way from us was this Carmelite monastery. And so Mother Mary of Jesus Crucified uh, was, was there, or Sister Miriam or... Um, whatever her title in religious life was. And uh, and so I made a practice because uh, I had an affinity towards Carmelite spirituality at the time. 
and so I would go over there and I'm like, well, it's a relic of a saint. You should pray in front of it. So I would go often and pray there. Now, um, the story of Blessed Miriam, she, she many miraculous things in her life. Like she had this thing called the transverberation of the heart where like her heart expanded. And, and so they could tell that because of the, the breaking of the ribs after she died when they examined her body, et cetera. So, um, but there's this one really fanciful account, a, a true account that that uh, mother that that sister Miriam of Jesus crucified Saint Saint Miriam, that she uh, basically was fleeing from the village. Uh, I think she wanted to be a sister, maybe I, I forget why she was fleeing, but she was fleeing from the village, and basically was attacked, mugged, kind of like the Good Samaritan story, left on the side of the road, and this woman comes and cares for her. And the woman that came and cared for her was the Blessed Mother. And the Blessed Mother nursed her back to life, you know, after three or four days. And she was able, or maybe weeks, I forget the timeline. But but that, that was one of the examples uh, of devote, of really how Our Lady came uh, to, to St. Miriam. Uh, she had a profound devotion to the Holy Spirit as well. If uh, If people like prayers to the Holy Spirit. You know, you think of the come Holy Spirit or breathe in me, O breath of God or whatever by St. Augustine, but she has one too. And so I would just encourage you like Google St. Miriam of Jesus crucified Holy Spirit prayer and you'll find it. And maybe that'll be a prayer you'll pray for a while. And, uh, you know, maybe that's something to mention. So when we have these, you know, we'll encounter prayers and so maybe you encounter a little prayer of St. Miriam of to the Holy Spirit. And as a result, maybe you'll pray that prayer. And that's not to say you have to pray it for the rest of your life. But mm -hmm. maybe for that time right now in your life, that's the prayer you have recourse to. I think the same is true with Miriam devotion. And uh, is that for a time in my life, I might be devoted to Our Lady in a particular way. But then that might change. Yes, be devoted to the rosary your entire life. You you must. You should be. But uh, maybe I pick up a different Marian devotion at different points. Maybe, you know, at one point in my life, I, I'm really focusing on the seven sorrows of Mary. And that's what I'm drawn to. Or, you know, for me, and you guys are down there in San Angelo, Texas. I, I read as a daily podcast called The Mystical City of God in a Year. I read Venerable Maria Vergreta, or the Lady in Blue, as y'all know her. Mm -hmm. uh, I read that by bi that biography, four volumes, twenty six hundred pages, as a podcast, kind of as my own gratitude to Solanus Casey, and to bring greater, you know, notoriety to uh, Sor Maria, and uh, and so I did that. But that was my devotion for a year, mm -hmm. and I was devoted in that way. Now, I'm not reading it this year, so my devotion to Mary looks a little different this year. So uh, I think our devotions can can change with the seasons of our life. I think that's really encouraging. I always tell Catholics, don't always sit in the same pew. You know, it's the same kind of thing. You know, change things up. You know, go outside and say your prayers as you pray the rosary. You know, go inside and do it with your family. You know, do a scriptural rosary. Do something different. You know, we don't all have to be the same way every single day until the day we die. So that's well, that makes sense because yeah. that way it just doesn't Even get alive. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. get old. Is yeah, Monday? Oh, I'll do that again. Yeah, stagnant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So no, I think that's great advice. Yeah.
Well, that is that's, that's something to keep in mind. I mean, it's, again, it's practical. Yeah, it's easy to do. Yeah, it's not that hard. That's what we like. Yeah, <laughs> keep so it simple. Thank you. Yeah, keep it simple. That's what that's our that's my motto. <laughs> you know, uh, another thing that is great about your book is that you know you introduce the lesser known saints like Saint Miriam. Uh, but you mentioned briefly the miracles attributed to the scapular's power. Uh, can you explain? You know a little bit more about the scapular and some of its scapular one hundred and one. Yeah, <laughs> I've been lost. I mean, kids get it at first communion, and then what? Like most people don't know much about it. Yeah, so the scapular is uh, a sacramental. Uh, it's there. There's actually several different colors of scapular. So there's oh. the brown scapular, which is associated with uh, Saint Simon Stock, and God willing, uh, I'm going to England here in the next week, uh, right before we, as we're recording this. And uh, God willing, I, I didn't know this until someone told me this, but the brown scapular was uh, given to St. Simon Stock in England. And so I'm actually right. going to the shrine of the brown scapular. So, wow. but uh, it, it's a... Uh, it, so it's this little devotion, right, that you wear it, and it's kind of like you're clothing yourself in the protection of Our Lady, like you're clothing yourself in her mantle. It's associated with the Carmelite religious order, the brown one is. There's a blue one for the Immaculate Conception, there's a white one for the Trinity, and typically they're associated with different religious orders. Uh, that's how some of these other scapulars uh, came to prominence. Uh, so the brown scapular... Uh, there, there's one story in particular is Solanus Casey that immediately comes to mind. And Solanus Casey was a young boy who was swimming at, on the farm where his family lived. And all of a sudden, like he went under the water and he thought he was going to drown. He was like crying out to God. And all of a sudden, someone pulls him up and they pull him up by the scapular and uh, there's no one there when he's there. And so he believed that Our Lady, because he wore the scapular, uh, pulled him up. So kind of the idea of the scapular, too, is like there's there's some promises uh, that are attached to it. But basically, it calls us to live according to our life. You're supposed to pray the rosary. Actually, you're supposed to pray the little office of the Blessed Virgin. But that usually gets commuted to the daily rosary as a result. So, like, it, it's a devotion that has stipulations that you follow, but then, uh, but but there's also this promise, and a lot of times on the scapular it'll say, "Whosoever shall die wearing this uh, will not suffer the flames of hell" or whatever, and uh, you know, so maybe some people wear it as a insurance policy, but right. you're living a life contrary to the faith. Probably that's not your insurance policy. You're not living up to the confraternity of the scapular. But, um, you know, it, it's supposed to remind us, you know, when I wear it, it reminds me of that Our Lady is with me and that I that she is praying for me again. She's protecting me. So I think that's the 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 pro the protective element of the scapular. There are lots of other stories where like, you know, um, this one is in the Pieta prayer book, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, but essentially there was some, you know, people out on the sea, the waters got really rough and they took the scapular and threw it in the water and it calmed the water. So uh, there, there have been little miracles attached to the scapular. Awesome. What's your favorite story on the rosary? Best favorite, one you can think of. Oh yeah, favorite story on the rosary, boy. 
that's a you know uh i feature mother angelica and how they love mary and one of the stories about mother angelica is she would go to these like conventions or whatever and maybe there was a booth for playboy and she would just stand there and pray the rosary in front of their booth like i i just think that speaks to us about the power of the rosary to counteract Mm -hmm. Um, evil, uh, to, uh, you know, that's why people pray it in front of abortion clinics or, yeah. you know, it, it's interesting, you know, there, there's gentlemen's clubs, right? And like, you know, it, here in Wisconsin, there's actually a Catholic church and a gentleman's club right across the street. And so you wonder why, like, the Catholics aren't out there praying in front yeah. of it, in the rosary, you know, so, but uh, yeah, the rosary is just so efficacious. And, you know, in that little bio you mentioned about, uh, about me, I wrote this little devotional called a rosary litany. And uh, essentially that was just like introducing a practice of St. Louis de Montfort. That St. Louis de Montfort recommended that when you pray, you know, let's think about the Annunciation that you would say, thy wound Jesus announced by the angel, thy wound Jesus, you know, visiting John the Baptist or whatever, that there would be this clause. So it's called the clausal form of the rosary. And uh, that directs you, it interrupts the Hail Mary, but directs your mind in that prayer to meditate about who Our Lady is or what what the mystery is about. So St. Louis de Montfort actually said that was to curb distraction and uh, to enhance our imagination. Another practical piece of advice. Yeah, love it. Oh, no, that's great. Well, Father, where can our uh, viewers get more more information about you or do you have a website uh youtube yeah, channel sure sure yeah i have a very out of date website edwardlooney.com i i'm not very good about updating it so uh I, i'm very active on social media so facebook twitter instagram the handle is at fr edward looney uh i have a youtube channel too uh where, where i put out different interviews i might have done with people like uh you know as as my own podcast host or whatever uh, I do some travel videos. I like going to places, so I do travel videos too on there. So, oh, yeah, um, yeah. So that's uh, you can find me on all the places. Just search my name. And oh, you're a priest of a parish too, and you're you're busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's why we're recording this so late at night. So sorry. Worked <laughs> out well for you too. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, good. Good. Oh well, yeah, in Wisconsin, I noticed you're wearing a, a, a light jacket there. So we're still sweating down here in Texas. So yeah. yeah so. So this is the craziest thing ever. So, and my school at my parish is an air conditioned. So, so Monday and two or yeah, Monday or Tuesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever. Uh, the school was like 90 degrees inside. It was Ooh. so hot. It was like ungodly hot. And, uh, and so we had kids like in the office complaining of heat exhaustion and, you know, <laughs> uh, they wanted to be in air conditioning. And so literally today, so the next day, it's now 62 degrees outside. Kids <laughs> are cold. And so we went from one extreme to the next. So um, which 62 is warm. It's it's nice autumn weather. Uh, but but yeah, so a little light jacket. Uh, and, and because when it was so ungodly hot, I had my air conditioning a little lower. Don't tell Pope Francis. But because <laughs> uh, in Lato C, he tells us we really shouldn't put our air conditioning low. And so, um, yeah, so I had it set to like 69, let's say, and uh, just to keep up with the temperature outside. And uh, but now my house was like 65 because, you know, it's it's less than that outside. So 
whatever, you know, but it's a little light coat to keep me warm now. I'll tell your students that you talked to some guys from Texas and it was 106 today. Yeah. So yeah, it's been that way for a while. Yeah, for <laughs> several yeah. months. So wow. well, Father, thank you for joining us yes, tonight. Thank you. And uh thank you for all you do and for your books. And could you leave us with a blessing? Yeah, sure. Uh well, let us pray. Uh, oh Lord our God, you gave us Mary to be our mother. May she be our constant intercessor during our life, so that by her prayers we might arrive safely one day at the gates of the kingdom of heaven. May you and all your listeners receive many graces through her intercession. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks again, Father, for joining us. And, well, in the meantime, be bold. Be real. Be Catholic. God bless. God bless.